question for you today. Not a trick question. All right, this is easy. All right, I am not trying to trick you. What is this? All right, so I'll say it together. What is this? It's a table. Now, what is it used for? To eat on. That was my wife. Yes, she, <laughs> she, she declares that. Um, I'm not saying that when she's hangry it's dangerous, but I'm just saying, right? Um, yeah, we, we eat at the table. Um, we gather around the table. A table really is a place of relationship, isn't it? I mean, think about that. Think about in, that in your homes, in your families, growing up. I mean, we did life mainly around the table. We'd gather around the dinner table. Mom and Dad would say, hey, how was your day? And we would, we would talk about our day. We would, we would laugh. We would tell stories. If there was a big family decision to make, we would gather around the table. Some of you will remember back when people went door-to-door selling stuff. Now, is that not crazy? Door-to-door selling stuff? Um, they would actually knock on your door unannounced and be selling like encyclopedias. Now, some of you here are going, encyclo what? Um, think, of, think of Wikipedia in paper form, right? Um, and, and the key was, the key was, they wanted to get you to their table. The salesperson did, because they knew that if your decision was going to be made to buy, it would be made at the table. See, a table is really a place of relationship. It's really a place where where life is done. This table is actually out of our hospitality room that we're, we're recreating. We're creating a new one over here. We're super excited about it. The, the big uh, uh, doors, the barn doors have been ordered. The contractor has uh, signed the agreement to do the job, and we're looking forward to getting all sorts of stuff in there so that you could come in on Sunday morning, grab a cup of coffee, some juice, maybe a sweet treat, and, and meet around a table. You see, one of the things that we know is so important for us is that we fellowship together and we just kind of gather around the table and get to meet people and get to, get to do life together. And it happens around the table. Tables are essential, I think, for, for relationship. But not only that, tables are essential if we are going to do what we've been talking about for the past four weeks, if we're going to unpolarize. For the past four weeks, we've been in this series reading through the the letter, the book that we have in the Bible called the book of Ephesians. And we've been asking ourselves this question, how in the world do we unpolarize our world? We all agree our world is so polarized today, and it's not just out there, but it's even in our families, in our homes, and in churches. Everybody's kind of pulling off to their side. And I think what we are going to see today, that if, if we're going to begin to solve this polarization, it's going to happen as we gather around the table. So let me just recap for you to catch everybody up, and, and then we'll kind of put a bow on this unpolarized series. We've been reading through the letter to the Ephesians, and, and Paul has been addressing the polarization in his world, and, and it's as polarized as ever, and not only in the culture in general, but also within the church. And so he writes this letter that we've entitled, that we have entitled, Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. And this letter was actually sent to all the churches, more than likely, in Asia that would share, uh, that was connected to Paul. Because all of them were experiencing this polarization. This is not anything new that we're experiencing. They've experienced this, well, as we talked about, since the beginning of time. You remember Cain and Abel and how polarized they were. And so Paul, in addressing this to the letter to the Ephesians, he begins right away by letting us know what God's plan is. 
In Ephesians 1, uh, verses 9 and 10, here's what we read. Here's what Paul says. He says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Here's what God wants. What does God want? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under who? Under who? Under Christ. Yeah. So it's not just bring unity, but it's bring unity under Christ. You see, the reality is, is God is an unpolarizer. God wants to bring us together. He wants us to see unity in our homes, in our family, and in our world, united under Christ. And so we said, well, if we're going to get there, and we began reading this letter to the Ephesians, we begin to see that Paul begins to address two different types of polarization. And we've been using this beautiful artwork all series. And, and last week I offered this up for auction, and nobody took me up on it. So it's still available today. And if you don't purchase it today, it's going in the trash. I know that's shocking, right? But we said in this, we said that we're polarized from each other. And one of the things that polarizes us is, it's very simple, is because I want what I want. And if you would just do what I want, then we wouldn't be polarized. But you don't do what I want you to do, so we become polarized. But it's not just between people. Because sometimes, oftentimes, we feel like life's not fair because... Well, quite frankly, God's not doing what I want God to do. And so then I get polarized from God. But see, this idea that you're not doing what I want you to do, or that God's not doing what I want him to do, it makes me the center of the universe. It's all about who? It's all about me. And we said that that condition in our lives, you could call it selfishness, or you can use the biblical term, you could call it sin. And if we're going to address the polarization in our world, the first polarization we've got to address is between us and God. And how do we do that? Well, we talked about that. The first thing we have to do is we have to realize that I'm not God, and He is. I know that's shocking, right? I'm not God, and He is. And then we repent. We repent for acting like I'm God, for acting like the world centers around me and the damage that that does. And then what do we do? Well, we receive Jesus Christ. We say, I realize, Lord, that you are God and that God has sent his son into the world. Why? Specifically to deal with this polarization. Amazingly enough, God takes the first step and he comes to us so that we can close this gap of polarization. Now, we, we talked about that's the vertical polarization, but what about this horizontal polarization? Well, Paul talks about that. Specifically, he talks about how that was happening within the church. Because in the church, there were really two groups of people. There were people with a Jewish background. There were people with a Gentile or non-Jewish background. And we learned very quickly, if you were here last week, that, that all the problems in the church, it really was not about the what? The bacon. Yeah, if you missed last week, you missed bacon. In fact, I wish, I wish I'd have sold like BLTs after church because a number of you wrote me and said, we had bacon BLTs for lunch today, or we went home and fried up a pound of bacon. And uh, if you missed it, go online. The service is there. It won't be the same, but it, it, it's still pretty good. You can't really smell it online, but you could, you could smell it in here. But Paul was teaching us something. You see, he was telling us that, that this polarization, what happens here is we make it about the bacon. We make it about the bacon because the bacon's right in front of us, and it's grabbing our attention, and it's grabbing. We smell it. We see it. We hear it. And we're focused on it. But Paul says, you are focused on such a minute thing. Because why? Because the Jews wouldn't eat bacon. 
And they were declaring their superiority because they were Jewish. And Paul says, here's the deal, guys. It's not about the bacon, but rather it's about this idea that I'm superior to you. And any time that we feel superior to someone based upon our heritage or maybe our knowledge or maybe our morality, if we feel superior to someone, what does that do? Well, that creates polarization. And it pulls us apart. And so what did Paul tell us to do in the letter to the Ephesians? He says, instead, I want you to focus on what unites us. We are one body in Christ. We have one spirit, the Holy Spirit, one hope, which is in Jesus, one Lord, who is Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, and only one God. He says, focus on what unites us. And then he says, realize that we have differences. We have different gifts and skills. And as we realize that, we realize that the differences make us stronger and allow us to reach our goal, which here Paul tells us what the goal is in Ephesians 4.13. As we work together, he says we will come together and use our differences, our skills and abilities, so that we all come together and learn until we reach the unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, until we reach unity under God, unity in the faith. And so that's kind of where we left off. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up. I brought the big black Bible today because I'm going to be using a lot of scripture there. But we're going to be looking at the next step in unpolarizing. And this is a hard one. Because now Paul is going to begin to address the question that maybe you've had from the beginning of this series. And the question is simply this. What do we do when we disagree with somebody? What do we do when we see something going on over here and we think that is just wrong? How do we handle that? How do we deal with that kind of separation? And, and how, do we, how do we teach? How do we, how do we tell people? How do we bring change in our world into this very polarized world? So Paul begins, he, he jumps into this in Ephesians 5. And remember, this is all about unity, unity, unity. And then Ephesians 5, all of a sudden, we get Paul's list. Ephesians 5, verse 3, we begin. Paul writes, he says, But among you there must not be any, even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper among God's holy people. He goes on, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, watch this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, he says. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Wow. What happened to unity, Paul? Do not be partners with them. Instead, put them off in the corner, point at them, and tell everybody they are wrong. A no. <laughs> What is Paul trying to tell us here? How do we deal with this? 
Because clearly Paul is telling us that there are some things that separate us from God. There are some things that we would call sinful or not God-honoring. And Paul begins with this list. Now what's amazing here, and let's talk about his list. Because what's amazing here is, is this is not Paul's only list. You read some of Paul's other letters and you'll see lists as well. In fact, I, I won't have it on the screen for you, but let me read you another list um, from the letter to the Galatians. Here it is. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, I guess witchcraft is okay in Ephesus, but not in Galatia. Well, no, that's not what Paul's saying, is it? It's interesting, isn't it? He has different lists. What, what, are, what are these lists really about? And, and here's the thing with these lists. Here's the thing with these lists. You've been reading the, the letter to the Ephesians. You know, when you read that list, if you're like me, if you're like me, what I do when I read that list, there, there's a, a sin in there that I'm like, yep, don't spill the coffee. That's bad, right? Woo, stay away from that one. Those are bad mamma jamma people, Mm-mm, right? And then there's stuff in there that's like, really? Foolish talking, really? I mean, meh, not so bad, Paul, is it? Really? See, I find that I do that with these lists. I don't know, maybe you do as well. What's Paul trying to teach us with these, with these lists? Obviously, the list is not exhaustive because he has some things listed in one letter and other things listed in another letter. If it was an exhaustive list, wouldn't Paul put it all together? So again, what is Paul trying to teach us in this letter, in this list? Well, I think if we, when we step back, if we just step back, and get a broad view of the list. One of the things you'll notice is everything on the list is all about me. They're all self-indulgent. It's all about what I want. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And, and I want people to like me, to think I'm funny, to think I'm all that, and to be popular, and kind of to fit into the crowd. And so, so it's all about me isn't that interesting because we know what happens when I become the center of my universe it separates me from God and it separates me from others as well I think Paul's trying to teach us something about this list this list yes these issues that Paul mentions are sinful no doubt but but look at the bigger picture as well it is this idea of self-indulgence, that I am the center of my universe. And any actions that we find ourselves fulfilling, that in our life, all of a sudden that becomes sinful because I'm the center and it separates me from God and it separates me from others. And here's the other thing I find about this list. When I begin to read the list, see, I begin to think, see things on the list and I say, you know what, I, 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 I can handle that one. I know where the line is on that one. I kid you not, it was back in the 90s, I was a youth intern 
um, back in the glorious days, back in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, um, there was another guy there that I was serving with, and, and there was um, this art show downtown, and he wanted to go, and, and I was like, man, you know, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of nudity in that art show. We are 21, okay? And he goes, yeah, I can handle it. It's just art. I thought, LLPF. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> see, that's what I find what happens. So, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on art. Please don't do it. But here's what I find what happens, see, is we read this list and we say, you know what? I know where the line is. And anytime we get this, I know where the line is, or I can handle this, what is that? That's an air of superiority. Well, I can handle this, but you, you can't, right? And all of a sudden, we get right back to where Paul is trying to move us from. Instead of being unpolarized, we are polarizing ourselves by our actions and, and deeds. And so Paul says, look what he says in, in verse, chapter 5, verse 11. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Have nothing to do with these things. And so see, in Paul's day then, what the Jewish religious leaders were like, they were Pharisees. And what they would say is, when it says have nothing to do with these things, they would say we need to shun we need to shun the people that are participating in these things. We need to put them over in the corner, point at them, and declare them unclean. It's kind of like when you were in third grade. Because all third grade boys know that third grade girls have cooties, right? And so you just avoided them, right? Because they had cooties. And see, what the Pharisees thought was we put these people over in the corner and we would avoid them because if we were near them, we would catch what they had. Well, not really. What, what the Pharisees really thought, and sometimes the Pharisees get a bad rap, what the Pharisees really thought was is if I'm over with them, then people will think that I'm approving of their behaviors. And, and I, don't, I don't, because, because see, a Pharisee at his, at, in his day they were seen as the moral compass for the people. And they took that role very seriously. And so, so they said, you know what, I, I just can't be with that person because, because I don't want anybody to affiliate me with them because I'm, I'm the moral compass of the, of, the, of the people. And I don't want to get the people off, off track. <laughs> and that's why Jesus drove the Pharisees nuts, Right? Because Jesus would go and eat with the tax collectors who were criminals and considered traitors. Because Jesus would touch sick people and whom other people would know you are diseased because you are cursed by God. Jesus would allow a prostitute to wash his feet. And it's so amazing in that story because Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house and, and this woman comes in and, and she drops to her knees and, and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair and then she anoints his feet with some very expensive perfume and the Pharisee is like, Jesus, do you not know who this woman is? What she does? And Jesus is like, yeah, I do. You see, Jesus... When he, 
when he was there, the Pharisee is sitting there going, well, you're approving of her behavior. And Jesus was not approving of behavior, but Jesus was approving of her. Jesus was saying, this is a woman of value and worth, and as such needs to be honored as such and, and treated as, as such. See, when Paul writes, have nothing to do with, I think we translate that sometimes like the Pharisees, put them over in the corner. But what Paul really is saying is don't participate in those actions with them. That's what Paul is saying. And he goes on to say, instead, we need to expose the evil deeds. Well, well then how do we do that? How do we do that without polarizing, Right? I mean, that's my question. Well, look at what Paul writes. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Here's, here he goes. He says, um, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. There it is. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look, he goes on. Verse 8, live as children of light. And then again, in verse 15, he says, be careful then how you what? How you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Paul says the first way we begin to, to kind of point people in a Godward direction is how we live. And then interestingly enough, read the letter. He begins to move into how we treat other people. Specifically, how we treat other people who, in Paul's day, were in, if you will, unequal relationships. And that's a hard, hard phrase. But look what he says. Ephesians 5.21. I love this verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then you read the letter. You know the next part that Paul begins to talk. Is he, he says, the very next verse, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? I had a guy call me years ago, years ago just railing his marriage was going down the tubes and he says my wife is not biblical she's not following ephesians 5 22 pastor you got to call her and tell her to god says she's got to submit i said did you read verse 21 he says no i haven't i said well why don't you read that real quick he goes all right submit to one i'll call you later pastor <laughs> right it's interesting. Paul says, he begins this section, he says, we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then look what he does. He references three different relationships, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. All three of those are very unequal relationships in Paul's days. Horribly, in Paul's days, wives had absolutely no voice in, well, in anything. It was just a very patriarchal society. And Paul says, what? Treat each other with respect. Wives, submit to your husbands, but husbands, you got to love your wives, right? As Christ loved the church and gave his whole body for it, right? Treat each other with respect. Children, obey your parents, Paul would say. But then he would say, dads, parents, don't exasperate your children. Don't take advantage of the fact that you're dad and you have power because, see, children have no rights and no voice and no nothing, 
in Paul's days. And this is the hard one for me. This is probably the hardest one for me. Slaves, obey your masters. But then he said, masters, remember that your slaves are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you should treat them as such. See, I want to shout from the rooftop going, slavery's wrong, slavery's wrong, slavery's wrong. And it is. In fact, Paul would say it is. In fact, Paul writes a letter that we have called Philemon to a guy named Philemon, telling Philemon, asking him to release Onesimus, who's a slave. People are not to be bought and sold. But what Paul knows, here's what Paul knows, is if we're going to bring change into our world, if we're going to bring this polarization, it begins as we treat each other with respect. And how did Jesus do that? Well, Jesus invited him around a table. He invited him to his table. Well, or maybe uh, their table in Zacchaeus's case. Some of you know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in the Bible. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. We earlier mentioned tax collectors were considered criminals. They were considered traitors. And Jesus was coming through town one day. And the Bible says Zacchaeus was a what? We sing the song. He was a wee little man, right? You got to say it like that. Wee little man, right? Um, I don't know if that meant Zacchaeus was short or that Zacchaeus was just unseen. People never saw him. Never paid any attention to him. And Jesus came to town, saw Zacchaeus, and said, Hey, Zach, I'm coming to your house, and I want to sit around your table. And the Pharisees and the religious people were like, What? Right? You approve of this man and what he's been doing to the people of God? Jesus says, I approve of Zacchaeus, not of what he's done. He goes and he has dinner at Zacchaeus' house. We don't know what was said, but we know what happened afterwards. Zacchaeus says, Lord, if I've cheated anybody, I'll repay them four times, and I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. Near the end of Jesus' life, he would gather his disciples around a table, and he would share a meal with them. At that table, he, he very plainly told his disciples, hey, all of you, all of you are going are to deny me. All of you are going to have some really bad behavior. But I want you to know you're still welcome at my table. And I want you to know at my table that I'm going to set this cup of wine before you. And that's going to remind you of my blood that's going to be shed here in just a little bit for you so that we can deal with this polarization because you've got to deal with that one first. And my body's going to be broken so that we can deal with this polarization first so that ultimately we can deal with this polarization. We can all be united under Christ, under God. See, I think that what Paul has been trying to tell us here in the book of Ephesians is that we are to bring change into our world but it doesn't necessarily begin with a sign. It begins with a table. And it begins with an invitation. And it begins with a conversation around a table. 
There's an old saying that goes, people don't care what you know until they know that you what? Care. And again, this is not saying to be soft on the truth or be soft on, on sin because Jesus never was, and obviously Paul never was. But see, when you gathered around Jesus' table, it was very clear to Jesus that the people gathered around his table, even though these people would soon deny Jesus, they were not his enemy. In Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, he reminds us at the, in the last chapter of this, of this letter, he says, put on the full armor of God. Why? Because you have an enemy. And our enemy is, is Satan. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you're around the table and you see the person across the table from you as your enemy, you will never bring change. You will never unpolarize. Now, let's be honest. You may not agree. And you may leave the table on different pages of different issues. But you have formed a relationship from which unpolarization can happen, from which change can occur, from which life can be served and found. God wants us to live united under Christ. And to do that, I think we've got to gather around the table. And so this morning... We will come to the Lord's table, a table that has been set for you. And as Emily already mentioned, today is World Communion Sunday. We're all across our land, all across this world. People are sharing in this sacrament called communion. And we come to this table and we are reminded of Christ's love for us and his sacrifice for us. As we take this cup which is presented before us. We're reminded of his blood that was shed for us. As we take a piece of bread that reminds us of his broken body, we are reminded how much he loved us and the extent of his love. But I want to remind you that he invites you to his table today and that you are more than free to come just as you are because Jesus wants to meet you you right here. And as you come to the Lord's table, I pray that your heart would be open to hear from him, to allow him to whisper into your ears. As we don't know what he spoke to Zacchaeus that day, I have no idea what he wants to speak to you today. But I believe that if you would open your heart, you'll hear from him. As you come to the Lord's table today, I want to ask you one other question. As Jesus has invited you around his table, who do you need to invite around your table? Who have you been polarized from that you need to say, hey, let's, let's gather around a table. Let's gather around a table and let's just meet. Let's just talk. Maybe we'll pray. Help me to know who you are and I want you to know who I am and I want you to know that you matter to me. And I want you to find life. See, friends, I think that that's where change begins. I think that's where Paul has been telling us all through this letter to Ephesians. That this is where change begins. It begins around the table.
So this morning, as we come, I just want to remind you once again, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, they brought a cup before him, and he held it out to his disciples, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And through the shedding of my blood, there will be forgiveness of sin, and there will be a way to reconcile your relationship with with your Heavenly Father. He told him to take and, and drink from it. And then he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, take, eat all of this. This is my body broken for you. This is going to cost me. But you are worth it. And you are worth it. So Father, this morning as we come before you, as we come to your table, where we will receive this bread and this juice. May it indeed become the body and blood of Christ for us. And may we then be the body of Christ, redeemed so that we may share life with this world. We pray this in Christ's name.